So what kind of questions do you have about the mental side of fitness? Let's take a look coming up next. Welcome to Happily Ever Active, where we crack the consistency code with fitness tips on motivation, mindset, and much, much more. Now, here's your host, author of Feel Like It, and the guy with the silent O, Kelly Dell. Hey there, and welcome to another episode, episode number 33. As usual, I hope you've had a week of motivating movement, and if not, hopefully this show today and the podcast in general can help you build and sustain some momentum in your routine, but you won't get tips on running technique or recovery shakes on Happily Ever Active. I focus primarily on the mental side of fitness and active living because let's face it, there's a large imbalance of information out there that tends to brush the mental side or the psychology of the process, the fitness journey off to the side. So it doesn't get a lot of oxygen out there and let's keep at it. Let's keep plugging away and realize that if you struggle to get and stay motivated to move, the mental side of sustainable fitness needs more airtime. We need to pay a little more attention to it. And that's why I really started this podcast in the first place. And today's episode is really about you guys. I put a call out on Instagram and Facebook last week for any questions that you have about your fitness journey on the mental side of exercise in general. And thanks to those of you who submitted something. I like knowing what's on your mind and what you guys are going through. It actually really helps me uh, focus the show on particular things. And today's going to be a perfect example of that. Although I can't get through all of them, I've plucked a few out from the pile for today's show. So let's take a crack at a few here. So the first question comes in from Carrie. And Carrie wanted to know, how do I find the same motivation to work on strength as I have for running? And I followed up with Carrie and I asked her a little bit of a question to get a little more background or some context to it. And Carrie's a teacher. She has children and her schedule changes drastically between summer and of course the fall as everybody goes back to school. It changes, clearly it changes as a teacher, but it'll also change in her family life with her uh, with her kids, right? So she's got a few moving parts to her life, which I know a lot of you can relate to, but I want to talk about some fundamental things that I hear from this question and some of the context. So let's go back to something really basic that I just love about her question. And that is, I just think it's so great that you found running to be so enjoyable, that you have made this a staple. This is a key part of your routine. You've got a strong, positive relationship with running. And that is really, really important. That's a great place to work around. And I know that Carrie, in her response to my request for more information, she said that she loves how convenient it is. It really works with her because she's busy and she can just get out and put on her shoes and go for a run. And that's a great way of getting more movement into her life. So that, to me, when I hear that, that is a success. That is a difficult thing to achieve in a routine. So congratulations that you're starting from that place. I think, to me, that's a place of strength. Now, of course, not every run is created equal. Some runs feel better than others. But you've got this positive relationship and you're attracted to running. And that is great. Now, when it comes to transferring that motivation to another activity, what we have to understand is that not all activities are going to feel 
as motivating or we're, we're going to have a different level of attraction to a variety of things. And it sounds like to me that strength training is important to you. You probably recognize that it has certain benefits that maybe running can't give you and you want to take advantage of some of those benefits. So you want to include it in your routine. And I think that's fine. That's a great goal. But as I've said before on the show that, you know, it's a delicate dance to align our intrinsic motivation with a particular goal, meaning that sometimes we set a goal to increase our strength or to bring on strength training into our life. And we don't necessarily spend enough time finding strength-based activities that really fit us. And we know that they fit us because of how they make us feel when we do them. And if we get that resonating feeling, that's where the attraction comes from. That's where the motivation, the self-motivation really grows from. So if we look at strength training, and I know, Carrie, you gave me a couple examples that you did some uh, circuit training and you've picked up some classes over the summer. And I know that your schedule changes when the kids go back to school and stuff. But one thing to consider here, and this goes for, for everyone, is we have so many options out there to play around with. And so one thing we, we don't do a lot of is trying new things and expanding our horizons. And when it comes to strength training, there's so many different things And I would dare to say that based on where you live, Carrie, there are probably, you know, a few other things that you might not even have considered that are relatively convenient to you or even convenient to where you work, the school that you teach in. And so it's really important to kind of take an inventory or do an audit of all the strength training options that you have and identify the ones that you have the strongest curiosity to go and do. Because when you follow that curiosity, the likelihood is, the the higher likelihood is that you're going to find something that resonates. So if what you've been doing is way behind running, meaning that if strength training is so far behind motivationally than you're running and you want to close that gap, it's worth opening up your eyes and start exploring. Now, we can make the activities that we do a little more enjoyable, even though let's call it the ceiling, the ceiling of enjoyment might be lower than we we would like. And to do that, we have to really focus on how we perform the strength training. Are you pushing yourself too hard where your relationship with that activity is all about pain and discomfort and always riding that edge where you're you're almost creating an aversion to taking that class and you kind of drag yourself because, oh, I really don't want to feel that way today. I don't really want to feel that way ever. And if that's the case, then look at how you do the activities, how you manage the intensity. And I know in group training settings where there's uh, a lot of people watching and stuff, we all often feel compelled to kind of push our limits all the time. And I'm basically saying that in the long game, that's not really that necessary and can be unhelpful because it hurts motivation. And when we're looking at sustainability, motivation motivation really matters. You want to create that attraction. And so in your particular case, yes, I know that your schedule is changing because of uh, your work life. Maybe you can find a new strength activity or explore new ones that, that, that fit you better. And you have to put time into that to try and find that fit. But if that really leads to a lot of dead ends, and this is the most convenient thing, then Look at how you manage intensity. Now, one thing that you mentioned, Carrie, in your response to my request for a little more info, you mentioned that sometimes strength training makes you sore and stiff, and we can all relate to that. But you also added how the stiffness shows up on your running. 
the transfer of that stiffness, the DOMS, the delayed onset muscle soreness is, uh, is a real deal, right? So if you find running, which is your main love, it sounds like is being negatively affected by strength training, then look at how you can protect running a little bit by how you schedule it into your life. Because to me, I think the momentum with running is really going to be something that's going to carry you going forward. So protect that, protect that bond as much as possible. And it might mean protecting it from the strength training to a certain degree. So in general, just to wrap that up again, congratulate how awesome it is that running has been such a a positive thing in your life and that you're motivated to go and do it. And that when it comes to strength training, don't expect that your motivation is going to be equal, but you can find things that are more motivating, that you enjoy a little more, that you get even a little more excited to go and do, and that even doing them, how you do them, how you do those activities can help and change the motivational energy of that activity. So that might mean dialing it back a little bit. And if in particular, if it keeps on making you sore for running, dialing it back could be beneficial to both activities. And that could be a really strong thing. So thanks very much for submitting that question and the additional information. I wish you luck in the new school year and with the balance between family, work and fitness. It sounds like you're doing a great job and keep all the positive stuff going. Okay, question number two comes from Chris, and he asks, your book is called Feel Like It. Are there times you don't feel like exercising, and how do you deal with it? So this question has two parts, and I'll answer the first part first. So absolutely, there are times where I definitely do not feel like exercising, and when I think about that feeling, it really comes before I've got a block of time or a a patch of time that I've planned to be active. And so as that time is approaching, I check in and sometimes I don't really feel like going for that scheduled run or doing that in class or uh, riding my bike or whatever. And sometimes I feel like doing nothing. That's kind of the compelling feeling. It's not super common, but I absolutely will experience that from time to time. And so I will. So how do I deal with it? Part two, I will, first I check in on how I feel about the activity. You know, it's, and this is a very brief sort of thing. Am I tired? Is it because I haven't slept well? Was it something that I've been eating that's making me really feel groggy or less interested? Is there something really important that is competing with that time that I'm really compelled to go and do? And uh, what is the lay of the land? And I just want to understand why I don't feel like it. But remember, I should say here, and I should state really clearly that the things that I'm including in my routine these days are things that I really enjoy, right? So the chances of me feeling not like exercising are pretty small, although it does happen. So that when when it does happen, I'm really like, well, why is that? To me, that feeling of not wanting to go or not wanting to run or whatever uh, has a little bit of a, a profound meaning for me. I'm really curious about why I don't feel like today. And often, honestly, if I'm being really honest, it's usually because of how I've been sleeping. And if I've had a, a week of poor sleep or a few days of poor sleep, that's usually the biggest drag on my routine. But if I'm well slept and I've been eating relatively well, it's rare that I don't feel like it. Now, how do I deal with it? Well, I kind of shed light a little bit about that. I get a little self-reflective about it, but here's the thing that I think has evolved over time. And I really practice the art of sort of forgiveness. If I decide to take the day off or 
you know, change my my uh, schedule from doing a, a rather intense run to something more light, you know, just like going for a walk instead. I try and practice self-compassion. I try to be friendlier to myself. I try to engage in friendlier self-talk because self-compassion by definition, or at least part of the definition is to talk to yourself as if you would be talking to a best friend. You wouldn't treat your best friend belligerently. You wouldn't chastise them for missing one workout or deciding to skip a day, etc. You wouldn't do that. So I try and practice that. And that has been a, a huge difference maker in the bigger picture. Now, from day to day, I might have a weekend where I don't really feel like exercising, but if I practice self-compassion, if I forgive myself for feeling that way, it tends to you know, help with rebounding that I know eventually that the interest will come back. And again, I've included things that I really like, so it won't take long before I really crave to go for a ride on my bike or to attend a free fitness class uh, in the park or you know, to go for a trail run. So that's a great question. Are there times when you don't feel like exercising and how do you deal with it? So right now it's self-compassion is a, is a big one. And I kind of do a check-in as to what might be creating that feeling. Thanks for your question, Chris. Okay. The last question comes from Joe via Instagram again. She says the following, I'm a slow athlete. How can fitness leaders include the slower athlete into their group programs? The mental angst of being a slower athlete is that you show up knowing full well you will be last at everything. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's hard to come back when you continuously feel like you don't belong. What advice do you have for fitness leaders in this capacity? Okay, this is a great question. I just love this question and I know that it captures uh, an experience that many of you have had. You've had or spent time at the back of the pack. Now, I want to take Joe's question and kind of pull back a little bit. You know, this idea of being at the back of the pack or uh, uh, being, you know, pulling up the rear, so to speak, it has a real literal definition, right? You know, the people who are last in races, last in run groups, last in cycling excursions, etc. And it also has sort of a figurative meaning, and that is the idea of feeling excluded. Because I think what Joe might be getting at, if I can somewhat put words in her mouth, is that sometimes when she's the last person on her ride, she can feel excluded. And that's really demoralizing, like she doesn't matter. And I will say, people can also have that experience if they're at various other places in the so-called pack too. So this feeling, this feeling of exclusion is what I'm going to, I guess, attack a little bit. Feeling like an outsider can come with, you know, someone who starts at a gym, who's never really lift weights and they've got little weight on their bar or someone who is just trying to get into fitness and, you know, they keep their knees down during their pushups because that's where they're at while everyone around them, you know, has their knees up or, you know, it can also take the form of taking breaks during their lap swim while other people just keep on going around them. And so it just, there's this visual representation of where people are at and we're all at different places, right? And again, sometimes that's where we're we're at. That's where we are. Sometimes we're slower swimmers than everyone else. Sometimes we're slower runners. Sometimes we're slower cyclists. Sometimes we're not as strong and that's where we're at. But where it gets really dicey is the idea of being 
have that feeling of being alienated or excluded versus just being sort of what I'll say a peripheral participant or a, an outsider. I will say this though, before I kind of dive in, if the fitness industry isn't attentive, this group is a very transient one and they will leave, right? People who feel excluded will leave. And if you alienate this group in any way, they're gone. And I'm sorry, you're not going to get, you're not going to get an exit interview. You're not going to get the opportunity to talk to them about why they left. It's very difficult to get a conversation. If you're working in a gym, when someone drops out, it's hard to get a conversation with them. And sometimes they're really upset and they don't want to. So maybe that's part of the problem. There's this data that we have about uh, these experiences that we're not getting, you know, industry representatives, I should say, are not getting. And, and so that information slips through the cracks and people go unheard. Their frustrations go unheard. But from an, a fitness industry standpoint, this motivated group, these are people who want to be a regular runner. They want to be a regular swimmer. They want to be a regular at a gym. They're motivated. They're needed. This group is needed and they really matter if only because it's really good for business. If you're a, a business owner or if you're in the you know fitness leader or if you're a personal trainer, it's good for business to <laughs> have this group around because you can't just rely on the same motivated people over and over again. There's just only, there's only so many committed people to go around and to share. So at some point, the people who are, you know, again, kind of at the back of the pack, who are on the outside looking and trying to make things work, they're required to grow and sustain a business. So fundamentally, from that standpoint, these people matter, but they also matter as human beings too, right? Let's not forget that. They matter as human beings and just common decency will tell you that making people feel included and as a, par a part of something, particularly if you're trying to facilitate a group and create a community, it's really important to engage in a positive way to make people feel like they belong. And I was inspired by Joe's question. So I, I actually posted a couple of unscientific polls on Instagram and uh, I threw out a few questions to, to my followers and I asked whether my followers had ever felt excluded in a fitness club or a group or a fitness center that claimed to be inclusive, who made the claim that they embraced everybody. And an astounding 80% said that they had, that they had felt excluded before. That's four out of every five of the respondents. And I followed up by asking whether this was surprising to them, whether they were surprised that four to five people said that they were, or they had felt excluded. And 80% again said no, four to five said no, which really says that a lot of people expect to feel excluded. And there's a difference between being an outsider and being excluded. Being excluded, I would describe as, you know, feeling ignored, feeling undervalued, or feeling brushed aside. That feels very different than just being an outsider, feeling actively excluded. And sometimes it doesn't happen on purpose. It happens by accident. But the feeling nonetheless is legit. It's real. Whether it's in fitness or elsewhere, how motivated do you feel to continue your participation in a group that makes you feel otherly, like feels, makes you feel excluded, like you don't belong? It's hard to be attracted to such groups over time, even if you love the thing that the group's about, whether that's running or knitting or whatever it is. It can get awkward, it's frustrating, and in fitness, it can sometimes be embarrassing. And I'm going to go out and say it. Today's fitness culture is full of biases. It's biased towards the young. It's biased towards the fastest. It's also biased towards the slim and the muscular. 
Acceptance is easier if you're any of these things. And for the rest, it can be a real uphill battle. Unless, and this goes to kind of the second half of your question, Joe, about what fitness leaders can do about it or what advice would you have for fitness leaders, unless inclusivity is a legitimate promise that's being made. And for a promise to be fulfilled, it has to be accompanied by certain behaviors. If inclusivity is part of a mission, if you want to call it that, that mission dies if it's not fueled by specific action. If a gym claims to be non-judgmental, for example, it must follow through with non-judgmental behavior and at the bare minimum, stop judgmental behavior. Just like, you know, to be a kind person requires acts of kindness. Otherwise, such an identity or a label is just hollow and fluff, right? It's just a fluffy label that doesn't mean anything. And unfortunately, as I think Joe was sort of alluding to, the back of the pack ultimately takes the brunt of any unkept promises. You know, the, the, the people who are the slower runners or the slower riders, slower swimmers, etc. And here's what's worse about all of it. And I've seen this before, and maybe you've experienced it or at least witnessed it. The people at the back of the pack, they're often burdened with the responsibility of reaching out and facilitating their own inclusion. That after being an outsider and maybe even feeling excluded because people have brushed them aside, the burden's on them to correct it. And that's so hard to do. Like, hey, you know, what about me? That kind of thing. So to those of you who are living at the back of the pack, whether you're the slowest or the shyest or whatever, keep showing up if that's what you love to love to do. But I'd also say don't tolerate a, a group that doesn't make you feel like you belong, that's not doing enough. And you can voice your your opinion to them. You can suggest ideas. And I have a couple here in a minute. Um, and actually, Joe uh, herself gave a great example of a, of a very positive uh, thing that a, 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 a group leader can do. Um, but again, don't tolerate any violation of this uh, this promise or the social contract proposed by whether it's a club or your studio or you know your your cycling group or whatever. The, the social contract meaning that we're here and we want you to feel included. You want you you know everyone belongs. Everyone's welcome. Well, if that's violated, then don't tolerate it for very long. For the fitness professionals, leaders, managers, trainers, and so on. You know, I'll, I'll ask this question to you. What are you doing every day to fulfill your mission, to enact it? If you are an inclusive individual, if that matters, what are you doing to bring that value to life? In terms of examples uh, uh, that, uh, you know, I know I love the one that Joe actually shared when I asked her. I, I reached out to Joe and I said, you know, what kind of examples have you seen over the years that you thought, wow, that's a really nice act of inclusivity? And she gave me a great running example, which I've seen before too, where the people at the back of the pack, let's say you're going out, and I'll just use this example, you're going out for a five kilometer run as a group, that when the fast people finish, that they go back out and they scoop up the back of the pack. That means they run and they meet the people at the back of the pack and they get some extra mileage in and run in with uh, the people at the back. And that makes people feel like they're not being left behind because there are instances where you know, people are driving home in the parking lot and the back of the pack are showing up and their cars leaving the parking lot. And that's a feeling that I think, you know, we've all had before that like, well, you know, we're all done. So whatever, you know, the rest of the people don't matter. And if you're really talking about a community and facilitating a community where you're, you're looking out for each other and supporting each other, then this whole idea of going out and scooping people up and bringing them home, so to speak, 
can be a very positive one to do. And if you're a runner who's faster and that matters to you, that's a great part of being a, a good community member. And I, I took a hike uh, this spring with a local gym here, a community hike, and it's a massive hike. There was over 100 people. And there are a variety of different abilities when you have 100 people going out for a hike. There's some fast people, some strong hikers, and some people who might have, might, might have been their very first hike, actually. And some people are done you know, within an hour and a half and some people are done longer. And this particular group, there's a caboose. There's somebody at the back who, even though they're them, they themselves are a strong uh, hiker, they walk with the person at the back and make sure they get back safely and that they don't feel like they are excluded or left behind, that they matter too. And those are a couple examples of things that you can do to make people feel included, that they belong, that they matter too. Because you know, at the end of the day, it's really not much of a success to keep those who are already committed, the ones who, you know, will come out and 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 do anything. They're really highly motivated and maybe they're already at the front. They're already at the front of the pack. It's really not much of a success to keep those people. It really is a victory for all of us, for all of us to make sure that we all feel that we belong as much as possible. It does take some attention. If you're someone who is in the fitness industry, it does take some attention. But most importantly, as Joe's sort of alluding to, it takes action. Inclusivity can't be a buzz phrase. To move someone from a peripheral participant who's just an outsider to feel included and not ultimately excluded, it takes certain actions. So my question is, what are those actions going to be for you if you're someone who's working in the industry? And for those of you who are listening who aren't really familiar with the feeling of being excluded or alienated. What can you do to make sure someone in your gym, your run club, your fitness center, whatever, your studio, your spin studio feels like they belong, even though they might be going at a different pace than you are. With that, I really want to thank Chris, Carrie, and Joe for their questions this week. I'll probably do another show like this sometime in the future. And you can keep abreast of those updates by following me on Instagram. That's kelly.dell, D-O-E-L-L. Or you can follow the show directly at Happily Ever Active Show. You can find me on Facebook too. Stay tuned for next week's episode where I interview Julia Orlick, who's a meditation instructor. And of course, until next time, here's to living happily ever active. This episode of Happily Ever Active has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more content on the mental side of fitness. Oh, and don't forget to rate and review the show. See you next time.